Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, what is up, people? You know that sound. It is the Unfiltered Band. It means another episode of Unfiltered coming at you right now. Episode number 40. You could join the Unfiltered Revolution at Casey Stern. You know, obviously, if you're already uh, listening to this on your podcast, you can get them everywhere. If you're watching on the YouTube channel, you already know about that. If you're on Twitter and you don't know about the YouTube channel, go into the subscribe and uh, my bio. You'll hit the link and you'll like all the videos or you'll hate them, but pretend to like them. Either way, I mean, it's good for my psyche. Whatever the case is, join the Unfiltered Revolution. Uh, speaking of which, I'm going to try and work on getting those t-shirts done so you can get in there. Facts. Uh, but right now, uh, you can get to the Prospects or Cool Parades or Cooler store uh, so that I can eat lunch today. Uh, good to have you on. Thanks for helping uh, on with us. I was trying to think of like, what, what the title of this thing was going to be. Because I, I always like messing around with these funky titles. And I've been like at a kick listening to music <clears throat> and movies and you know i just like all these inspirations and it, it, it didn't seem right to call this like you know the 40 podcast old virgin like it didn't seem like that was gonna work um i i was gonna do like this is 40 right wasn't that that was a movie too right no i yeah it doesn't seem to work um you could drink a 40 perhaps I, i'm gonna call this one I'm calling this one put a ring on it because where else are we going to start? And you know where we're starting. It's that dial you're making. 1-800-RINGWORM. Can I get some cluster ball, please? I wanted to kind of follow up on some of what I talked about with all of the nonsense with Tatis Jr. the other day and some of what came out and the reactions to it. And just go from there, because you've all heard my, hopefully, by now, if you're listening to this, I assume you've already heard my you know, thoughts on, on all this nonsense and garbage. Hot garbage, literally. Like the kind you leave on somebody's doorstep. Like hot garbage, all right? I love the reaction from the Padre players. I love the fact that Mike Clevenger, who you expected from him, obviously, but Joe Musgrove, A.J. Preller saying that's his story, Talking about the immaturity, because if nobody privately has gotten to Tatis Jr. and threw to him, right? I'm sure they've tried, you know, with the injury before the season and anything, you know, that's transpired. Like with a kid like this and you see some of the mistakes, you can only imagine, especially when you hear the comments, right? Like how many things have happened in the background that we don't even know about, right? On who knows, like during the course of the season, there are a lot of stories we don't know about in baseball. I know we think everything leaks, not everything. Um, but you can only imagine like how many Bad things have occurred where immaturity has stepped up for the comments to be what they were. But maybe if you can't get to him personally, maybe laying him out publicly was the only reason. And having him realize that, hey, look, like, dude, your teammates right now, they don't like you. Okay? Like, no matter what they say, they know the kid's talent, but they don't like you very much. Juan Soto looking at you and saying, well, now at least I know him better than that dude. Facts. I love the fact that they were honest about it. And I think that, you know, you hope that that openness about just how disappointing this all is for those players that it, it you know, something, something got to get through to, to Fernando Tatis Jr. Cause look, he's an unbelievable talent. He's great for the game. We all want him to be great because he's a fantastic player and I want him to be healthy and I want him to be on the field. He's amazing to watch. I mean, this dude is amazing to watch play the game. 
And we're all selfish. I mean, we all want to be entertained. They're performers, right? I mean, I know they're humans and they're athletes, but that's what th this is. And watching this guy perform is special, and I want to see that. And I want to, you know, you hope it's a great story of, of somebody who learns and grows up from this. He's got plenty of time. He's just a kid. And, look, I love Bo Mel. I've always loved Bob Melvin. I've always loved Bob Melvin. And as a manager, he got to kind of skate the line because, you know, he expects to be here a while, and Tatis Jr. definitely going to get, you know, the way he's getting paid, he's going to be there a while, right? So, you know, you're going to deal with him next year and in the future. And I think, you know, the fact that Bob Melvin tries to, you know, basically you know, put out this fire makes a lot of sense. But I don't want to hear about, and I know Bob Melvin, you know, I, I saw some of the comments. If you haven't, you should go read them. You know, he had a long conversation on the phone with Tatis. What, he couldn't get there in person, first of all. But he had a long conversation with Tatis. Was it Zoom? I mean, was he busy? I mean, this guy. But anyway, a long conversation with Tatis on the phone, and he says he's very remorseful. I ain't buying that. I think that's the message you have to get out because I think – you know, whether it's Padre ownership or AJ or everybody, I think collectively as a brand, they realize that, look, at some point with the amount of money we paid this guy, he got to be a stud for us. He got to not only play, he got to know we believe in him, but we got to champion his brand because we got to make money from him, right? I mean, it's an investment we're going to make money off of. We can't be like crapping on it, like, and everybody just sitting there and just like you get in this big circle and pee on everything that Tatis is. You can't do that. Plus, it's, it wouldn't be safe and you may get ringworm from it. 1-800-RINGWORM. Can I get some cluster ball? But I don't, I don't, I don't mind Bomel trying to kind of diffuse it. But I don't want to hear that Tatis Jr. is remorseful because he had his chance to make a statement. First of all, nobody's stopping Fernando Tatis with his big ringworm story from going and showing me all like that. Let, let me see the back of the bottle. Let me see how you get it. They tell me more about how you got ringworm. You know, why don't you go ahead and like you know be the spokesperson for hey, if you have ring, ringworm, don't worry about it because you know here's what he went through. I don't want to hear about remorse because you're not remorseful. You're a liar. All right. There are some people I've learned in life that and, and a lot of them are very lovable humans. They are just compulsive liars. And no matter what you do, no matter how much you try and change the fact that that's the case, it's it's like, you know, if you spend enough time trying to figure out all the lies, you literally make your head spin off. Fernando Tatis Jr. strikes me already as one of those guys. Like, I already want to know how did he really get injured before the year. I already want to know how quickly he came back, why, like from the injury a couple of years ago where it was like his arm had, like, fallen off, and all of a sudden he's back. I'm sorry, not buying it. You give me ringworm? I don't know. Like, first of all, can, like, you phone a friend? Forget phoning ringworm. Can you phone a friend to get a better excuse? Like, there got to be, like, some book you could buy at, like, Walgreens that gives you a better excuse than that bullshit. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Seriously. you got to be kidding but so I get Bomel trying to defuse it. The sad part is for the Padres. Look, I, I said this before. You know, they made all those trades, and you got to give a lot of credit to AJ Preller, who's certainly been under the gun, and to that team for putting their money where their mouth is. I mean, look, it's one thing for teams to say, we want to win, we're getting after it, and then they don't give you enough. The Twins, how many times have I discussed where they fit into this category? You know, look, I'll give you the Toronto Blue Jays. Their you know, ownership and their you know, front office sitting there telling you, you know, I thought two years too early, really a couple of years ago, hey, we're ready to win and we're disappointed. This isn't good enough and we got to get after it. And then they had all the signings with the semi and offseason, all that stuff. And then since then, it's been like, hey, like this is who we're going to be. And 
what happens is, is then you can't allow a 24-year-old Bo Bichette to, you know, have the, the league adjust to him and him have to adjust back, which, by the way, Aaron Judge and like 99% of the great players even on the planet, unless your name is Trout or Soto or Albert Pujols, this is what happens to you, right? Or Giannis or LeBron. Like, think about the only guy that's like the guys like, okay, everyone else, oh, he goes left, he goes right, he can't shoot. You know, this is how to play the defense on him. He can't go here. He can't, like, he can't read defense. Like, everybody's got some game. The the people who don't have a book on them or the book you can read it a thousand times, it ain't going to matter because you can't get them out or you can't find a way to stop them from scoring or whatever the case is. Those are the unicorns. Those are the freaks of nature. There's no book for Kevin Durant except whatever life coach you know book he's reading right now. That's it, all right? Whatever, whatever Kyrie told him to read. I mean, seriously, really, with that enough. But there, there's no book you can read, or or you know, video you can watch that's telling you how to fix all the the crap Trout and Soto and company are doing to you because those guys are in a certain category. Even Tatis Jr. when he's healthy, right? Seemingly, assuming it's all legit. But I really feel like for the Padres, and I said this at the time, we need to understand that even though you made the deal, you can't say you didn't make it in part for this year. And look, you know, even regardless of whether or not Tatis was there, they weren't going to beat the Dodgers this year. They're not going to beat the Dodgers. For the division, clearly they're not. But they're not going to beat the Dodgers in the playoffs this year. They won't beat the Mets in the playoffs this year. The Padres aren't going to the World Series. You go ahead and yell at me if I'm wrong. I'll yell at myself. I do it often. Don't worry about it. But it's not going to happen. They're not good enough. I said that at the time. I said at the trade deadline, go back and look. Kudos. And I, but it's because you've got another two years of Soto. Next year, you start with Soto and Tatis and and all that you've built with this pitching rotation and everything else, and then you you could try and win a division and beat the Dodgers, and maybe that's the year, right? It's not going to be this year anyway, but you never know. I mean, sometimes, and I'll, I'll say this, you know, teams are, are you, they have that galvanizing thing that happens when somebody, you know, in their mix does something screwed up like Tatis Jr. just is. Maybe, maybe Maybe they use it as a rallying cry. I'm not saying they got like a mannequin to him that they're, you know, uh, you're pulling off clothes until he's you know, naked like in Major League. But you know, maybe this is like some way like, you know, screw that guy. We don't need him. Right. And I, I don't think you look, you may need him, but I don't think that having him or not having him are, are going to be the difference beating the Dodgers this year. You're not going to do it anyway. You're just not. But I, I don't want to hear about he's remorseful. He's not remorseful. People don't get remorseful when they get caught. You know what a real person who actually has empathy or guilt or like, you know, acknowledgement of accountability does? They tell the truth when they apologize. They don't tell you, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. They don't lie more to get out of the first lie. And a terrible way of doing it for anybody, but the way Tatis did it, I mean, my God, again, please ask someone first how to do it. You got to be kidding me. I mean, my goodness. I mean, Melky Cabrera, some of these bad ones that we've heard over the, the, the while. And look, at some point, we may forget. We, we may be like, hey, you know what? He, he had you know, 13 years after that that were legit. And I know he kind of lied about the ringworm thing, but he was just a kid. And that may happen. He may become a Hall of Famer and all those things. That certainly, look, he's, a, he's an unbelievably talented kid. But don't tell me you're remorseful you're not remorseful for anything that's not remorse you're remorseful you got caught you're remorseful that you got caught do you understand the difference i'm sorry i got caught i feel bad that my teammates are disappointed in me because i got caught 
You should be sorry you didn't call somebody else. I mean, what, your agent couldn't, like, you didn't have somebody that could give you, like, a gatekeeper between whatever you were thinking was the right idea? I mean, who gave you the, I'd be selling out the dude who gave you the ringworm idea if I had, if I was Tatis. Seriously. But now it's too late. Don't tell me you're remorseful. Just move on. Seriously. Try and move forward. Rehab your, your, your immaturity. Rehab your body. Get ready. Continue to, to stay focused and, and, and put it in a position where in your head, hey, look, I'm going to win the MVP next year because I can't let this happen. That's Tatis. Let me go to the MVP race next. I, I think when you look at the situation that you have with the most valuable player, and I've said this for years, right? So I, if you go back a few podcasts, when they came out, and you know, I know a lot of people who, and God bless, and I appreciate it either way, but I know a lot of people who listen to me over the years and kind of have heard, like, you know, my, my takes that I've kind of pounded into the ground and, and then, you know, seen what, I, what played out, for example, with the All-Star game with having, you know, uh, Pujols and Miggy Cabrera in it, and that was something that I had for years been pounding into the, the pavement that, hey, look, there should be these wild-card picks because this is the time where you monopolize everybody's attention. You get a chance to really, you know, Instead of being exposed as a sport for things like this with Tatis Jr. of the Ringworm, really you know, put out there and push on this platform the, these unbelievable milestones and these stories and the history that baseball brings you that's different than everywhere else. Well, right along with that, right as many times is something I'm going to go into again now because I think it's important. And look, maybe this is something that will change in the future. You know, I don't need anybody at me with credit on Twitter. I don't really care. But maybe if somebody hasn't heard this, go tell somebody in the league office. Or if they're listening, just think about this. There are not a lot of things that hockey does as a sport, especially in this country, right? And I love hockey, better than baseball. There are no things that baseball does better than basketball. And we're talking about leagues, MLB, M NBA, right? There are not many that hockey does better than baseball in this country. Here's one. Most valuable player is supposed to mean, based on what we all seemingly know of it, and the definition doesn't exist. Like, you could look, it's like, I, I remember, and I've done shows where I've asked a lot of the voters, what do you think an MVP is? And they got 50 different answers, right? Which doesn't make them wrong, because nobody's giving you an answer. It's like, how, as a Hall of Fame voter, would I handle steroids, right? I have no idea, right? You're going to tell me I can't use an eye test, but what am I supposed to do? You're going to tell me I can't say, well, he was you know, great before Barry Bonds' head was big, but you tell me then what the rule was. Like the character clause, nobody can recite that. Nobody knows what that is anyway. Who the hell wrote it and what is it? So I've said this for years, but hockey allows you to pick somebody. The idea of an MVP, I used to say many years ago, and some people who are young not even going to know what this reference is. But year, years and years ago when I started and I first got into discussing the MVP and my issues with it, which are the same now, and I'm talking specifically into the context of judging. I have always believed that nobody cares who the most valuable employee was at Enron or now enter any debunked company. You know, oh, great. In a group of really shitty people, I was the best one. I mean, really, is that something you want to say? Is that an award we give? What award is that? Most valuable player should be the most valuable person or player to a team's run that should be in a postseason. I don't want to see A-Rod 50-plus homers in a last-place team. I don't want to see Otani on a crappy Angels team. But if you ask me to vote for MVP this year, I, I got to vote Otani the way that you're doing it. 
because nobody been more valuable than that dude. The guy is not even a cyborg, a unicorn. Like, I don't even know. Like, there's, there's nothing I could give. Like, there's, there's no, I mean, seriously. We never, he's a, he's a one of one. I said one of one before with Soto. He's a one of one. I mean, are you kidding what this guy's doing? As a hitter and as a pitcher? I mean, he's one of the best players in the league in either. Like, for both. I mean, that's stupid, okay? He's basically Bo Jackson, like, doing what Bo Jackson did in terms of athletics, and it was amazing. And look, Pro Bowl, All-Star Game, same year. I mean, look, he could have been a Hall of Famer probably in either, especially baseball, health-wise, if you picked one. But we're talking about a guy who's done what Otani's doing nobody's ever done before. This is, this is uncharted territory. This guy's a freak of nature. There's nobody more valuable than that dude in the league. The way it's written, the way it's handled, I got to vote him. Even though Aaron Judge deserves the award, especially for a homer-happy team right now that hasn't played that well, that still has lost 8 out of 10 and 12 out of 15 as I taped this podcast. And, you know, right now doesn't look good as the Astros, not the other New York team, the Mets. And right now looks like they're vulnerable. Not to the Twins in a playoff, sorry. But they're vulnerable, okay? Aaron Judge's been a dude. I mean, guy may hit 65 bombs. But I can't, he plays good defense, he's an athlete, and he's been great in big spots, and we can go on forever, right? There should be an award for player of the year, and there should be an MVP award. The Hank Aaron Award, many of you don't even know exists. If you're a diehard baseball fan or you work in this industry, you do. If you're a diehard fan of a team in baseball and love the sport you watch, you, you probably have no idea unless somebody on your team's won it. But the Hank Aaron Award is given to, like, the best offensive player. First of all, I hate that because, you know, you need to play defense in this sport too, all right? But why are we putting one of the great names in the history of any sport and a guy who, you know, now especially, like, since he passed, which is terrible, why are we not having that be player of the year or most outstanding player? Give him the Mop Award. I don't get what you call it. Why aren't we having it be that? Because if you make it that and you upgrade it, right, from just offensive player, then I don't care if you give it to Otani every freaking year. That's fine. There's nothing more astounding to what he's doing. And by the way, Hall of Fame players and greats, nobody stopped giving Cy Youngs to Roger Clemens or Greg Maddox. If you're the best, you're the best. But why would you stop? I'd give it to Otani. But then I could give Judge the MVP and not feel like he got screwed because there's a guy who's not even human who's playing right now. And I can't say Judge is more valuable than Otani. How can I do that? I can't do that the way you're judging. Can't. I think having the two different awards is the right way to do it. I think this is the way you do it. You know, I don't, I don't care, like, how you figure out how you want to change. By the way, you know, baseball, like, they're so afraid to change everything. My God. It's like, you know, well, we can't change, you know, this because the stats are, are so holy that, you know, then we, we can't have anything to compare it to. Really? Like, you think people think the stats now are the same? And I don't care if you're going from a pro hitter with the shifts or against, you want to talk about steroids, you want to talk about home runs, the parks, well, they're not the same size. There's a million things. We look at all the stats differently. Now we don't care about ribbies. We don't care about, now we, we I mean, I, look, I'm with Pete Alonzo. I think people who don't think it means something know nothing about baseball because the idea is to touch home plate and score, okay? Buck Showalter, I love what he said the other day. You know what kind of offense I like? The kind that scores more runs than the other team. <laughs> That's the kind of style I like. Sorry, at me. 1-800-RINGWORM. Can I get some stats, please? I believe 
that if you split up the awards, make the Hank Aaron Award the player of the year, then do an MVP, then you got more debate, which is better for baseball. So you get two different conversations, right? Could be the same player who wins both. But if Otani helps the Angels and they end up winning a division, sure. It's not his fault. Please, I hope you understand. I'm not bl- Look, it's not his fault. What the heck is the guy going to do? But I'm just saying, it's like then you're in a better spot where you can kind of combine and, and then separate. Combined in terms of, hey, we're talking about the best in the top of the game, but I can have two different awards. Like the idea a guy can't win Cy Young and MVP, why? He could win both. It's got to be the kind of year like when Verlander did it. And I remember covering that year. We were down the stretch going into September, and it was Jose Bautista and Jacoby Ellsbury and Curtis Granderson. Um, I think we're like the three. And Verlander, when he was with the Tigers, and it's like, I mean, look, this dude's winning the MVP. Like, I mean, he's the stud right now, Okay. That, that dude's the dude. Like, these guys aren't as good at the, on the show. Okay. So, that's fine. Separated himself. Okay? That's just the way it is. There was a year Kershaw was right there, and then Stanton got hurt. I mean, sometimes the door's got to open. It's got to be a really special case for a pitcher to win MVP. But why? Like, they can't? So, Tani could win both. But then I don't have to, like, ask myself, am I really going to say that Judge is more valuable than Otani? Like, I can't say that. What, am I an idiot? Like, nobody could say that. You just can't say it. You can't do it. So I think they should split those up and make it two. But I think you got to go with Tani now. And at me on Twitter, I'm curious your thoughts as you listen to this and respond in the YouTube comments. And please tell all your friends and let this be like the next thing that the league figures out years too late. Like, this is can we, the Hank Aaron Award just for, uh, really? Like, for that guy's name, this is the award you're putting on? Are you kidding? Let me go to... And this is specific to tonight. I want to talk about this Mets Braves series, but specific to tonight's game, Stride Right, Spencer Strider. If you missed my comments on, you know, as, as crazy as what Tatis did with the ringworm thing, right? It's almost more understandable. Like, okay, young kid, like, you really should have made some more phone calls. I got a better phone a friend. And, like, dude, like, you got to circle of trust better and whatever. But, like, how is Spencer Strider, when you get beat around by a team who just almost won five out of five games from you, really, if Acuna doesn't rob Alonzo of a home run, and they probably had another inning, I mean, they just ran out of time coming back into one game they lost, where Taiwan Walker, you got, had, look, you get, you know, I feel, what is this, a Ninja Turtle? I just shell-shocked. Isn't that a Ninja Turtle thing? You get shell-shocked. But, I mean, come on, man. Like, you almost lost five games in a row. There was a game where uh, Alonzo and Vogelbach went back-to-back. There was a game where Naquin hit two home runs. You're going to tell me it's all luck, and you're going to bring a Babip? Dude, shave. Seriously. Stride right. Striker. Striker. But guess what? Now you get to put your money where your mouth is. Nothing where your mouth is. Because in this Friday night, this opener, uh, this four-game— Friday. Friday? I think it's Friday. I felt it was Monday this morning. Now, 22 minutes with all of you, it's Friday. The whole week has passed. It's like, really? It was. It, was so, it happened so soon. It's a big shot. Spencer Strider gets a chance at home in the now again the biggest series of the year. <laughs> Teams what five and a half out, six at five and a half, right? I think to start the series, go ahead and sweep down to one and a half for you math wizards. You need a TI eighty two calculator to figure that out. But now you get a chance to put your money where your mouth is. Now you got a team that they don't need bulletin board material. They're going to say the right things. And look, I believe them. I think the Mets, I'm not looking at, I'm not saying that they look at the Braves like a speck. They know how, uh, that this team's for real. They know they're dudes, right? They get it. 
But they're looking down and they're saying to themselves, okay, like, let's be honest, like, where we're at with this whole thing. Like, we're better than they are. What the hell do we care what they think? This isn't about last year's World Series, and these guys weren't on the teams that lost to the Braves 15 times in the division. They don't care about any of that garbage. They, they're like, okay, we just proved we're better than this team. That's probably their feeling, and, and it's true. I mean, right now, they are a better team. Even the Braves know it. They're a better team right now, all right? But here's Stride right. Now, he gets a chance to get out there on the hill, and let me tell you something. I don't know the guy. Yeah, I'm taking jokes at his expense. So are Braves fans. I was talking to Braves fans yesterday afternoon. I live in Atlanta, for those who don't know. I Brave fans yesterday afternoon, even at the pool. And even they were saying the same thing I said in the previous podcast about this. Like, no Braves fan wants to root for or hear from a young kid that, like, they think the other team is lucky. It sounds weak. It is weak. All right? I feel like Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, the leads are weak. You're weak. Really? The, 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 the hits are weak. You're weak. You're weak. Weak, weak, weak. Doorman. If you don't know that reference, we can't be friends. I want to see what he does now. And I'll be the first one. You'll see me do it on Twitter tonight if it happens. Because, like, you know, why? Because, like, I'm a normal human who, like, yeah, I'm a diehard fan of a team, but I'm, I'm not an ass. Like, if this guy goes out and throws seven shutout innings and strikes out eight guys and, and they beat the Mets tonight, I'll give him kudos on Twitter. Good for you. Because that's not an easy spot now that you put yourself in this, in this you know, from the penthouse to the outhouse. You want to get back in the penthouse in terms of, like, okay, I'm a, I'm a dude and I ain't afraid? Now go shove it. Because otherwise, everyone's going to tell you to go shove it. If the Braves fan watched Twitter tonight, if he gets shelled again, they're going to be after him like Met fans usually are after every Met player since the beginning of time. Like Braves fans like pretend they don't get on their own players. They have like secret, like they have, they have a, I have a secret, secret place that I go in a chat room with a burner account to talk about all the things I'm really afraid of about my own team. Met fans are like, no, I hate my team. It's crazy. How do we bunt? We're garbage. But you won nine in a row, and this is just a loss. No, it's a loss. You don't get it, right? Braves fans will do that. They don't do that. They'll be doing that if Stridewright gets his, his ass beat tonight. Guarantee you, Stridewright gets beat up tonight. They're going to be on him more than Met fans are going to be on him, as well they should. And you know the Mets are going to want to hit the ball as hard as humanly possible. Now, maybe it works out, and it's not on purpose, people. Really, this is a grand plan, honestly. But he may work out in his favor. Maybe they try and overswing, and they don't like, you know, hit to contact the way that they have. And maybe, you know, he strikes out 10, and that's fine, too. But if he pitches well, good for you, because now he put himself in a tougher spot. Before, it was like, okay, wow, this kid's, you know, have a great start to his career. He's a bright, young, young pitcher, arm, and he's got some moxie, got some confidence, and okay. And it's like, all right, he's in a big series. Nobody on either side, even like a Met fan, like he's at least rational. It's like, okay, yeah, cool to watch him pitch. Got great stuff. Let's see what he can do. Now, uh-uh, not tonight. He's lucky he's at home, but it's also more pressure at home. This is what most athletes have told me for 20 years. They tell you if you listen to any place, yeah, way more pressure because now you're trying to impress the home fans. Why do you think Mets can't hit for DeGrom? It's not because they're it, – it, it, it's, it's not because it's in their head that they have it. It's because they're trying so hard to do it. We know how great he is. We don't want to let him down. Well, Spencer Strider don't want to let the Braves fans or his teammates down after what he said. Now let's see what you got. This is appointment view. Get your popcorn. Go ahead and get your beer. However you're partying, this is going to be a show. Because now I want to see what you can do. You, you, it's one game for both these teams. I don't think the Bra Braves are going to win this division because the Mets' schedule in September is quite weak. And they're way better, as we saw them against the Reds, as example, way better than most of these teams. Like, the Phillies are really good. And that's why this games were the way they were. 
Braves are a really, really good team. That's why most of, and look, it, this is not going to be easy. And, and if you're asking me my prediction, I think it's going to be a split. I think the Mets will win two and the Braves will win two. And I think it will be right here, five and a half. I, I, Mets are not going to lose this division. They're just not. Again, at me, I'll be the first one to be like, I'm an idiot again. Fine, we're not the first time. Whatever. I got the T-shirt. I also have these T-shirts. Prospects are cool. Braves are cooler. And whether you're a Met fan or not, these are Met colors. You can get them in your own team's colors. Get on my Twitter and go to the Believe store, and you got to believe. Also get the originals at Cotton Bureau. So, I, I, I'm, look, I'm looking for a split probably. But Mets aren't going to lose this division. They're not. But this game to me is more important to Spencer Strider than it is to everybody else. This game is more important because you put your tail, your fanny on that line, and you said, well, they're lucky. Well, now you better go shove it tonight, pal. Because if you don't shove it tonight, they're going to tell you to go shove it. Can't wait to see it. That's going to be some theater. These four games could be fun. Could be fun. Could be fun to watch. I wanted to say this one other thing because I, I – I love, look, I love, obviously I love baseball and I love the statistics of baseball and the history of baseball. I've mentioned this over the many years I'm doing this. And even as a kid, I, well, nobody would listen to me then. Nobody listening to me now. They're just like, you just want to hate me. And that's fine. I, it's fine. You know, tell your therapist. Jacob deGrom is <laughs> blank. I don't even know what the word is. Chris Bassett yesterday called him an alien. You could use a unicorn. I put out there a poll the other day, and you can go check on Twitter. I put a poll out there the other day. I said, if we take out, and I hate using compiling, so I'm not using that because I'm not going to say Greg Maddox or Roger Clemens or anybody that was the greats of all time are compilers. That's not, that's consistent brilliance, all right? But the way I think I put it is, if you're, if you're taking away career numbers and, like, composite, like, okay, this guy had won this many games, this guy did it for that many years, right? Or, like, it hasn't been long enough. Or, like, the whole, like, Don Mattingly or Dale Murphy or some of the guys who are not in the Hall of Fame because it was not long enough. And at the height of the height, they were definitely in the category of being Hall of Famers. And those are two guys right off the bat that fit that category for sure, right? And then people forget, well, Sandy Koufax, Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, a lot of guys haven't done it for a long time for different reasons, and it just was six, seven years or however many, right, that were enough at a high level. Jacob deGrom and the dominance that he is putting up, I, I, I say this, and at me, it's fine. I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's the best pitcher that's ever lived because to me, then I sit there and I, I got to look at, you know, part of it is, it's not. I hate longevity. It just sounds like you're saying it negative or backpatting somebody. But the consistent brilliance, right? In my lifetime, the best pitchers that I ever saw, in whatever order, and I would put Pedro one because ninety nine two thousand are the best back to back years I've ever seen. I think that's ever been. I've had conversations with people about Bob Gibson and Sandy Koufax and a lot of different. The best back-to-back seasons ever pitched were Pedro in 99 and 2000. In 1999, Pedro struck out 313 guys and walked 37, all right? In the steroid-laden Yankee years of the AL East, good luck with all that. Playing him 18 times and all that, good luck with all that. Are you kidding? 313 Ks, 37 walks. The ERA was like two. Dude was a dude, all right? I don't care how many games he won. Enough with that. He won a bunch, but I'm just saying. We're past that, I hope, people, right? Pedro Martinez, Roger Clemens, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox are the four best pitchers I've ever seen pitch. And Clayton Kershaw is probably five. 
pre-DeGrom. Scherzer, by the way, he right there in that mix. Maybe six. We're talking about in my lifetime, right? But I want to say this, and I won't say unequivocally, because first of all, it's an opinion, so I can't really say that. But even in my own mind, like I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm there. Like I'm kind of like I'm, I'm simmering around there. I'm percolating, but not yet at a boil at the following. So it's not going to be as strong as I want it to be. It'll be like in uh, Meet the Parents, strong to mostly strong. But I'm watching Jacob DeGrom. He's the most dominant pitcher that's ever lived. I, by the way, if you're not watching the podcast, that's not there's something wrong with the technical stuff. And I appreciate the people who've worked through some of those episodes, and we're figuring this out. Like you know, we're you're Jimmy in the wires and all that stuff. I got my Sony Walkman tied to this. We're good. But I left the space to leave the space so it sinks in. I'm not talking about what he did over. No, you know, how many years, even though the last hundred starts, the only guys whose ERAs are as low as his are Sandy Koufax, Greg Maddox, and Bob Gibson in any stretch in their career over 97 starts. Good luck. Go at me with that. I mean, that's crazy. All right? It's crazy. Nuts. Jacob DeGrom's numbers since 2018 are stupid. When I say dominant, I say... Can you watch somebody that's not the best wide receiver you've ever, that ever seen? Now, by the way, Jacob DeGrom's going to the Hall of Fame. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. This guy's going to the Hall of Fame. It, counting stats, no matter what they are in terms of what he compiles, go to the Hall of Fame. All right? Don't at me. Go at people who have votes. Ask them. Hey, not on there now. Would you vote for him? Go ask. They're going to say yes. Not all of them, but enough to get in. I dare you. 75% say yes. Good, good text all the writers. He getting there. But you can be a Hall of Fame wide receiver that's not the greatest wide receiver that's ever lived, and you could be the fastest. You could be the quarterback that's a Hall of Famer, yet not the greatest that's ever lived. And we're not talking about Jeff George, not a Hall of Famer, because that may be the best arm I've ever seen, or Jake Cutler, or whoever else you want to throw in the category. But you could say, hey, look, Aaron Rodgers, look, you could do more things than Tom Brady. I, don't, I wouldn't put him as the best. I think Tom Brady's the best, but yeah. I mean, he's like, I mean, it's like weird science, like sculpting a quarterback, right? Jacob DeGrom is the most dominant pitcher I've ever seen. Nobody has ever had a repertoire like this guy has. A 94-mile-an-hour wipeout slider after you're throwing 102 and a changeup that he can use whenever the hell he wants just for you-know-what's-in-giggles is crazy. That's crazy. I watched Pedro, and I thought he was the best pitcher I've ever seen. And, look, I still put it that way in that context. His changeup was, I mean, it gives you, like, goosebumps. I mean, it is, again, like people helping people. I like it when she jokes, watching his changeup. It's crazy. Climb the rope in gym class, whatever analogy you want. But nobody had this repertoire. Nobody had this mix. Nobody had this kind of filth. It's not just throwing 102, like and he's just dialing it up, and we don't know where it's going. This guy is dotting I's and crossing T's with it like nobody's business, like Bartolo Colon used to do at 84 miles an hour. I mean, you've got to be kidding me what this guy is doing in terms of how he's working corners at 102 miles an hour. Like, it's nothing. It doesn't even look like he's trying. He doesn't even look like he's trying. Jacob DeGrom is the best comp you could give to what it's like watching Kevin Durant play basketball. Watching Kevin Durant play basketball is like watching Jacob DeGrom throw a baseball. Like, this isn't real. He is an alien, to quote Chris Bassett. Maybe that's the best thing to say. He's the most dominant pitcher I've ever seen.
Go, go tell me otherwise. If you're just saying it that way, tell me otherwise. Because you're going to tell me, well, these two seasons that Pedro, it, I agree. Did he ever have a mix like that? No. Does it mean did Jacob DeGrom a better pitcher, if you want to put it that way, had a better career? No, of course not. Not a better career. No. But let me tell you something. Go ask pitchers. You think they'd like to have DeGrom? I mean, Jacob DeGrom, it's like, are you serious what this guy's doing? Are you serious? You got to be kidding me. 1-800-RINGWORM. Are you serious? Join the Unfiltered Revolution. We got much more podcasts coming, all sorts of things on the docket here this week. Um, working on a couple of more top 10 lists. Uh, any ideas you want to throw at me? I've already done a show dedicated to somebody who threw a request in. I love that kind of stuff, so please do. Please stay in on the Twitter. Please jump in on the YouTube. Please tell your friends. Please do whatever you can to continue to build this thing. Um, you know, working hard to, uh, as I look in the background, I, I stall because I saw Cowboy fans are the worst. They're never going to, I mean, they'll never subscribe. Do I really care? Not really. Not so much. Everybody hates the Cowboys. You either love the Cowboys or you're everyone else. Join the unfiltered revolution, people. Hop on board. Really? Ringworm? Yeah. I'm remorseful. Oh, sure. You're remorseful. Totally. I, I apologize. Reminds me of a scene in The Last Boy Scout that I cannot tell you about because it's a family show. But go watch The Last Boy Scout and watch when, <laughs> when his wife gets caught cheating with uh, Bruce Willis's partner. And go look at the lines that he says when he says, she says it was an, it was, it was, it was an accident. And then he says, oh, it was an accident. I understand. You were just walking down the street. You slipped. And the rest of it is, it's a family program. Unfiltered Revolution, people. Episode 40 in the can. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.